All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's a good day. Uh, today, like every other day, is the day that the Lord has made. And so today I want everyone to know that this day that we are right now inhabiting and living in and breathing in, this day right now is a brand new invention. This day has never existed before. It's a new day, and with this new day come brand new, unique mercies from God. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So it's just something to think about today, that before the creation of the universe, God personally hand-selected unique blessings, mercies for you to live in and abide in and thrive in today, just for today. So in eternity ago, God hand chose blessings, new mercies for you to enjoy today. God is a giver, the giver of good gifts. So every day, folks, Every day, he provides blessings just to get us through this day, because this day can be difficult. You have children? You married? Are you breathing? This day is difficult. So God provides new blessings for us to get through this day. And not just survive it, but to actually thrive in this day. And every day, because God is the giver of good gifts, every day he provides new challenges that help to like spur us in our growth, to, to grow our faith in Christ. And every day, God provides these new opportunities for us to know him better, for us to enjoy him more, for us to just abide in the glories of God's grace every day. So God does this uniquely for, for each and every one of us. So this day is, in fact, a good day because our God, the God who made this day, is showering even us right now on this day with brand new, unique, special mercies. This day, and so did he yesterday and the day before that and last week and last year and every day, every day since you were conceived. You could say that our lives are really not much more than the story of new mercies. A constant barrage of new mercies. That's what our lives are, is a story of the new mercies of God. Even new mercies that you're unaware of. So let me share this story. A few weeks ago, we celebrated my mom's 80th birthday with a little surprise party at my sister's house. So we had some family that gathered and several ladies, my mom's friends, they got there. And, and at some point during the little party that we were having, the ladies were at the, at the dining room table just laughing and talking stuff. And I was in the living room sitting in a chair and I happened to look to my right in my sister's house, there's like a bookshelf right, right there on the right. And I happened to notice a set of books that I had not seen in 25 years. These books were in my house growing up. They were a set of encyclopedias. And because I wasn't doing anything else, I reached over on the shelf and I grabbed the second one from the left. Why that one, I don't know. So I grabbed the book and I took it out and I started doing what I did when I was little. I started flipping through the pages when lo and behold, 
I saw this envelope stuck in this encyclopedia. It's addressed to me. It was unopened from Greensboro, stamped October 1989. I was 16 years old, and I got mail, personal mail. And in the moment, I just reacted out loud, like, what in the world? Well, that got everyone's attention, which was an awful mistake because they were like, what? I was like, it's addressed to me. It's from Greensboro. I was 16. It's 1989. And they all said, what? Open it. I didn't want to open it because, as everyone could tell, because of the penmanship, this came from some chick. So my wife is there, my kids are there, my parents are there, and I started getting nervous. Like, I start reliving my life, like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? Um, so I did. I, I right there, and everybody's around me. So it's so awkward. And I opened it, and I pulled out the nice little stationery here, and I read it to myself. And I folded it, and I put it back. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, I'm not sharing that. <laughs> Uh, nah, not today. Here's the short of this letter. When I was 16 in October 1989, my church, our youth group, went on a little weekend mission trip to do a service project. And there were a few other churches, a few other youth groups that happened to be there as well. And so while I was serving Jesus... I happened to meet this young little lady there, and apparently we hit it off really well, so well that she wrote a letter sharing her undying love with me <laughs> that she wanted to continue a relationship and asking me to write back. Well, yeah, bless her heart. <laughs> I didn't write back because I did not get this letter. Now, how it ended up in this encyclopedia 20-some years earlier is a mystery. I believe it has something to do with Mama Juanita, <laughs> but we don't know. It's a mystery how it ended up there. One thing I do know is that that's a new mercy. That's a new mercy. Who knows how life could have possibly turned out had this 16-year-old dude opened that letter up and written back. Like, the course of human history would have been altered completely. It'd be a completely different, like, universe. It'd be like Marvel. It'd be like all kinds of stuff going, going nuts. <laughs> what I do know is that that is straight up a new mercy for Jamie, my wife. <laughs> because when she was nine years old, God was at work on her behalf to make sure she got this guy. Well, she didn't, I mean, she obviously didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. The point of this, for me just sharing that, is that God is at work in our lives all the time. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's big stuff, sometimes it's little stuff. Our lives are nothing more but a story of God's mercies, new mercies, all day long. Um, and I really think that it's a good exercise for us to take the time now and again and to kind of just think and reflect on how God has loved you throughout your life, how he has provided and protected and guided you this past week, this last month, this last year, these last 30 years, or however long. 
Like it's really good to take inventory of these new mercies that God has just laid out throughout, throughout our life. Uh, what I'm going to do today is something that I rarely do, uh, but I did it last week, so how rare can it be? Normally, what I do on a Sunday morning, we open up the Bible and we work through a text of Scripture and I preach God's word in, in that sense. And I think that's the best and the right thing to do. We do that 99% of the time. Today, what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to share the story of Anthem Church, kind of sort of how we got here. Because this story, folks, is simply part of the story of God. This is the story of Anthem Church. is part of God's story. We are here because of God's new mercies. God's new mercies have paved the road for us. It established Anthem Church. It has gotten us to this point. It has protected us. He has led us through his new mercies. He's done amazing things. But what's so important for us to recognize is that these mercies that God just showers upon us individually and even in the life of a church, they're not an end in and of themselves. They have a purpose. Folks, Anthemers, those of you who are part of Anthem Church, you you say, this is my church. Here's the deal. God has showered us with new mercies that we may introduce others to the God of new mercies. And so that's really what I want to get out this morning in telling this incredible story of just how God has provided and and led. And I hope it's encouraging. I I, I want to remind those of you that have been with us a while of this story. I think it's a good encouragement. And if you don't know it, I hope you leave out of here just encouraged. Like, man, God is faithful. God is good. He's sovereign. He's providential. He's at work in the details even when we don't know it. Okay? So, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was this young man by the name of Hector. Uh, He decided to leave his native Costa Rica in pursuit of the American dream. So he leaves Costa Rica and he moves to a land of beauty and wonder known as New Jersey. And while in New Jersey, he meets this uh, young chickadee by the name of Juanita. And she's from Honduras. She had moved to New Jersey. And there they met. And they got married. And they had two children, me and my sister, Janine. Now, while in New Jersey, my dad, Hector, he had acquired a specific set of skills working on a very specific type of textile knitting machinery. Well, when, when I was done with kindergarten there in New Jersey, uh, my mom started getting homesick. And so the family, actually, we moved to Honduras. And we moved there. This is like 1979 or so. Um, it's not a good time. Not that it's even that great now there, but it was really not a good time to be in Honduras at that time. If you're old enough and you know your history, there's a lot of communist insurrection happening, uh, the Sandinistas, like all that stuff happening in Central America. Not a good time. I remember being on the streets and just seeing armed militia, like people just walking around with fully automatic weapons. It's just not a healthy environment for, for families. So my dad said, you know what? Our kids are American citizens. They'll have better opportunities. Let's go back. So the family decided to move back to the U.S. We were going to go back to New Jersey But a man that my dad had worked for in New Jersey had moved to Southern Pines, North Carolina, to start a brand new textile company there. So when my dad was making his calls, he got in touch with him. He says, well, listen, don't don't go to New Jersey. Fly into Fayetteville Airport. I'll pick you up. 
you'll have a job on day one. All right. So that's what we do. We get on an airplane and we fly into Fayetteville. And the guy stood us up. My sister was four. I was eight. My parents, we all had two suitcases total. And they had some cash in their pockets. My parents spoke no English. And this is Fayetteville in 1981. No one else spoke Spanish. So if you're a dad, real quick, put yourself in that situation. You have just landed behind enemy lines in a sense. You've been airdropped into, into this other nation. I mean, at least in New Jersey, there's plenty of other Spanish speakers. Not in Fayetteville in 1981. I mean, you are, we were marooned. What are we going to do? So my dad scrambles, and uh, he makes some phone calls, and it turns out that there is a textile company utilizing the machinery that my dad knows how to work in on in Anger. So within a couple of days of all that fiasco in Fayetteville, we end up basically renting a little apartment in Anger. New Mercy, y'all. New Mercy. Like, we're like abandoned. Like, left for dead. So that's what happens in Fayetteville. Not to insult anyone from Fayetteville. <laughs> I got some people shaking their heads like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a new mercy. God provided for the family. He took care of us in an amazing way. And we end up in anger. We didn't even have stoplights back then. So that's how we end up here. Um, personally, I gave my life to Christ when I was 13. I'm the cliche. It happened at youth camp. During the summer, you go to youth camp, and you're there all week, and you hear all this teaching and stuff, and it was the last night, and it's, of course, at nighttime, and there's a campfire, because that's just how it happens at youth camp, and someone shared some stuff and said, if anyone wants to give their life to Christ, do so, and I just felt compelled. Like, I walked down, and we had to pick up a stick and throw it in the fire, and I, I, mean, I just, in front of however many kids were there, I said, you know, I give my life to Jesus. Like, at that point, for years, I'd been hearing the gospel. I'd been hearing about Christ. I'd been hearing about the cross. But that night, folks, it, the, the light came on. It was as if I, I heard it for the first time. It just it made sense. And so I, I tasted of the grace of God, like to know like forgiveness and what that really meant in a personal, experiential way. Where, like, this is real. And like, it just came into my heart. So that moment when I was 13, I experienced done you mercy of all mercies, the forgiveness, the grace of God. Like he breathed that new life in me. I became a new creation. That's the greatest new mercy that there is, right? So I was 13 years old. Now I'm going to fast forward 25 years. I got a yada, 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 a bunch of stuff in between. Summer of 2011, I started sensing this thing where God's like, uh-oh, he's getting me ready for something. Something's coming. He wants me to do something. I wasn't sure what that meant. That went on for an entire year. And in the summer of 2012, God made it crystal clear, move back to Andrew because I had graduated high school. I moved on to college. I was out working, moved back to Andrew and plant a church. Two things that I never wanted to do. Because once I got done with Harnett Central, with high school here, I was done with this town. Partly because when you're the only Hispanic family growing up in a southern rural town, 
there's a little bit of emotional baggage that you have to deal with. And so I didn't want to come back here, partly because I'm just too cosmopolitan for Harnett County. <laughs> the other thing is, <laughs> I say that jokingly, right? We're the metropolis of culture around here. <laughs> um, the other thing is, I, 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 at this point, I'd been called to ministry. I'd been in seminary and all that. I never wanted to be a church planner. I had friends who had planted churches. I knew how hard, how difficult, how challenging. I didn't want to have anything to do personally except pray for those guys. I didn't want to be that guy being prayed for. Well, God did the miraculous. He, he did a work in me. And next thing I know, it's like, I want to move to Andrew and plant a church. His grace prevailed in, in my heart. He did this work. And then in August of 2012, we started putting together this little small group. It was like a few families. We just came together and said, let's start a Bible study. And let's just talk and consider and wonder and dream and pray about what it would mean to plant a new church in Andrew. And that's just kind of sort of how the ball got started. So then in the spring of 2013, me and Jamie, we were living in Holly Springs. Well, it's time to start looking for a house. We actually need to physically move to, to Andrew. And so we start driving around here just like looking for neighborhoods and looking for houses and where are we going to live. And one day we happened to drive right here on Highway 210 and pass this building. And when, I, when we passed it, I just kept, look, I looked over, I'm like, it looks empty. It doesn't look like there's anyone in there doing anything. Because uh, we didn't know what this would look like. What, it, when you plant a church, at some point, you've got to consider facilities. Like, you've got to have a place to do ministry and a worship and do stuff. And we didn't know what we were going to be doing. So we were moving to Andrew. We just didn't know where this, this would take place. So... Anyway, we're driving around. We pass by this building. A few days later, we're driving again, pass by, and all of a sudden, there's a phone number posted out front. Big old huge banner. The building, turns out, had been empty for five years. And all of a sudden, the week me and Jamie are driving around looking for a house, it's when they decide to post the phone number. Coincidence? No such thing. There's no such thing as coincidence. God, God is doing something, right? So we called the number up. We set up the meeting with the owner, Mr. Bob Barker. Uh, and so we meet here, and we're walking around this place. And at one point, I just kind of sheepishly just asked him. I said, well, Mr. Barker, uh, what do you think? And he says, listen, man, I have no interest in renting this space. Um, but previous tenant, tenant uh, paid 8000 a month. And um, I'm really not interested in renting. I just, I'm trying to unload properties. So if you're interested in buying, I'm all game. We were a small group of a few families. We, we weren't having services. We never collected an offering. Like, so there's no way we're going to buy the building. And there's no way we could afford $8,000 a month in rent. Are you kidding me? Like, there's just, it's just not, not at all going to happen. And so when he said that, I, I think he actually saw the look on my face. And he took pity on me, and he said, uh, well, uh, I've got another place right up the road. Maybe that'll work. So we drove up the road, 
and went to the place that I call the mother of all warehouses. Like this warehouse is where they make warehouses. It is just huge space, this huge building, and it's just a shell of a building. No HVAC, no insulation. It's barely concrete floor, slats on the wall. And, and we're walking through there. I'm like, there ain't no way. Like this, you know, and we start joking. Well, maybe we could have the first ever drive-in church. Like, it's so big, right? It's like an airport hangar. Everyone could just drive in and tune the station to the anthem station, listen to the sermon and the music that way. You could have air conditioning and heat in your own car. And it was a great idea until we realized that everyone would die of carbon monoxide poisoning, which would turn us into a cult, which is not what we were aiming for. And so Mr. Barker, on his own, because we're walking through this, he's like, there is no way. You can't put a church here. It just, there's no way. He said, the other space, meaning the one that we're in right now, that, that'll work. That might work. It's like, let me go home. Let me talk to my wife. Give me a couple of days. I'll get back to you. I was like, all right. So we go about our business. Two days later, me and Jamie are driving to Anger to have our final walkthrough on the house that we're closing on the very next day. So we're in. We're moving to Anger. No idea what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Just we know this is somehow going to happen. And so we're in, stepping out in faith. We're, we're buying a house. And on that day, Mr. Barker calls. And I answer the phone. He says, all right, Rick, I talked to my wife. Here's the deal. Move into the space. Do whatever you have to do to that building. Get in there. You can use it. How's $1,000 a month sound? Total. Total. We don't even have to pay property tax. Just $1,000 a month total for this, folks. That is a ginormous fantastical new mercy that God would provide what this building is. It's a 20,000 square foot facility on two acres on a major highway within the city limits. And we knew we were supposed to be within the city limits with plenty of parking for a thousand dollars a month. And even in this room, I wonder how many of us, even our mortgage is more than a thousand dollars a month. Do you know one of the biggest challenges to a church plant is its space where it, where it meets? Because maybe it's a bad location. Now, and I know God is the God of miracles like we just sang. God is more than just the, your physical address on that. But God does also work within like the, the geography and the nature of things here on earth. You know, like, like the blessing it is to have the location. What's the, what are the three laws of real estate? Location, location, location. 20,000 cars drive by here every day. I wonder how many hands would go up of people in here. It's like, I tried it the first time just because I drove by, because I saw it. Like, what a wonderful thing. And that it was within the city limits is a big deal because we're the first gospel, new gospel work in Andrew, in this municipality, in a generation. Like we knew it needed to take place. So the location was, is massive. It's incredible. On top of that, one of the problems with a, a lot of the church starts is that the, the facilities are too small. So they get bottlenecked. And they, they can never reach any critical mass or, or a threshold where you could do something beyond just, well, this is as big as we can get. 
So 20,000 square feet, we can grow into that. And that we have it for pennies on the dollar? Because a lot of new churches, it costs so much to rent a place. They can't do any ministry. They can't do any outreach. They can't, like, fund the gospel. So that God provided this place and its location as big as it is for pennies on the dollar. Folks, that is a new mercy, an incredible new mercy. So we're all excited about this space that God has provided. And then all of a sudden, we found out some bad news. This property was, co- was uh, zoned at Commerce Park. In the town of Anger, a property, a facility that is zoned at Commerce Park means that a church cannot meet in this space. So I said, we'll just have the place rezoned. Ignorance is bliss. They don't teach us this mess in seminary. They don't tell us how hard this is. So, I mean, I trot over to town hall. Hey, I want to rezone a property. Holy cow. Like, the process and the tribulation that is rezoning a place. And I would say particularly so in this town. So, the, the process required for us to go before the planning board in town present to them, and then go to the town board, which are the actual commissioners, and present there. Turns out, I didn't know this until we got into the process, that neither board, the planning board, nor the town board have a good track record when it comes to dealing with churches in this town. For years, churches and new churches have been trying to rezone property in town every time, stiff-armed, every time, every time it was a no. Every time. That was the precedent. Every time. Okay? I've got local people calling me, good luck, but you know it's not going to happen. i got local pastors, you know it's not going to happen. I love you. I wish you the best, but it's not going to happen. And I will say this. I do not believe it's because those folks that serve on this board were or are anti-church or anti-Christian. I think it's because of the nature of the town. This is a small town. Properties like this are rare. Economically speaking, from a commerce and a jobs and a tax-based situation, it makes more sense to have a business here than it does a church. You understand? So they've made decisions to zone the town in certain ways to help the population with commerce and business and jobs and employment. Makes sense, right? Okay. I just want to say that because I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. So, On June 11th, 2013, we go before the planning board. Now, the planning board doesn't make any official decision. They're just a a sounding board, in essence. People present to them, and then they offer a yay or nay. In in terms of a suggestion, we recommend that the town board should go ahead, or no, we don't think that's a good idea. So they just offer advice. Follow? So we go before the planning board, and we, our group, we prayed. We fasted. We put together this presentation full of demographics, a vision of the value that we're going to bring to our community. Folks, I am a business major from the University of Chapel Hill, Keenan Flagler School of Business, top 10 in the country. Hua. I've got years of experience in biotech, medical, pharmaceutical sales. I have, I have brokered multi-million dollar deals. Putting a presentation like this and giving it, 
I'm no rookie. I've never been so nervous. I go before this planning board, guns blazing and everything. Give my spiel. And we're, we're done because it's a public forum. It's a public hearing. They have to discuss in front of everyone and then ish, render their verdict, in essence. Um, everything, everything is pointing toward a negative outcome. Their questions, their phrases, their words, their posture, their tone, everything is pointing to the fact that they're about to vote in opposition to rezoning this place. And then we saw a miracle, and I do not use that word lightly. We saw a bona fide miracle that night. One of the men on the planning board said, I came to this meeting. I had already made up my mind how I was going to vote because we have a precedent in place for how we vote on these matters. My vote was already cast. And oddly, he then put his head down. There was this odd pause. He lifted his head up and he looked right at me with tears in his eyes. He says, but I'm convinced. And he called, he made a motion for the vote to be taken up. And it went four to two in favor of the recommendation. Unprecedented in the history of this town. It tells us in Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. God was directing and orchestrating providentially the, only, the way only that he can bring conviction and persuasion to the heart of this man on that planning board to the degree that then that man actually turned out he influenced the others and that's why I went four to two in favor yay Jesus now comes the hard part a month later July 2nd we had to present to the town board the town board of commissioners that's who actually makes the decision whether or not this place gets rezoned. So I come in, I give my pitch. The mayor, he calls the commissioners to deliberate. They have to discuss the matter. Again, public hearing, it's a public forum. He says, all right, gentlemen, discuss. Complete silence. Three minutes? So the mayor, again, after this odd, long, awkward silence, says, gentlemen, your job is to discuss this, to deliberate this matter. Please discuss. Not a word. In fact, they were sitting at their desk, the podium, and they just like this the whole time looking straight down at the table, the counter in front of them. These are good old boy Southern politicians. When are any of them ever at a loss for words? 
not a peep. A third time, the mayor asked, gentlemen, it is your job to deliberate this matter. Nothing. Nothing. So after a few more minutes, the mayor asked something that at the time caused me to cringe. And he said, gentlemen, you could vote to table the discussion until the next meeting the next month which is what they voted to do. Which I cringe because I, I don't want to wait. I want my answer now. So that's what they decided to do. And so we come back on August 6th, which was 2013, August 6th. Folks, I retool that presentation, and I'm like, I'm like really guns blazing. I am leaving everything on the table. If they say no, it's going to defy logic and everything else. And as I'm talking, I am 99.999% certain that they're voting no. Because the whole time that I talk, not a single one of us, them, would look me in the eye. They would look away. They would look down. Their posture, their demeanor, their tone. There's a, a little bit of an interaction and exchange, and everything they were saying was screaming, we're voting against you. Like, they were, they were teeing it up for themselves to say no. Then one of the commissioners asked a question that turned the tide. This one commissioner asked, why does Andrew need a laid-back church? And that's exactly how he said it. Why does Andrew need a laid-back church? Meaning, why does Andrew need a non-traditional, casual Come in jeans if you want to, kind of church. Folks, when he asked that question, it, it started getting slightly rowdy in the place. Everyone got up and went to the microphone, including people that were there on other business that weren't, had nothing to do with Anthem or were other people from other towns were like, well, actually, this would actually be a good idea. And they were trying, they were trying to make their case. It still didn't matter because the, the thing was, they, were, they had already made up their mind. Okay. Then, to my shock, my dad, Hector, who does not speak in public, gets up and walks. He walks to the microphone. And he shared a story with those commissioners that night. He just simply said this. Gentlemen, at the textile plant where I have worked, there's a lady who came in who worked with us for years. And she came in on a Monday morning crying and mad and upset. And we all at work all day, like, asking her, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And finally she, she broke. She says, I was at church yesterday, and all the women at church were making fun of me because my clothing isn't as nice as theirs. I will never step foot in another church ever again. And that's why, gentlemen, Andrew needs this church. And he turned and he went and sat down. I know 
for a fact because I talked to all of those commissioners after, in the weeks and months afterwards, that they were going to vote no and that it was specifically the words of Hector that caused them to change their mind. Who would have ever guessed that it would be the words of an immigrant from Costa Rica who accidentally, randomly moved his family to Anger 32 years earlier, that that is the person that God would use to convince the town board of a southern rural town to rezone this property, that it be a place of worship and ministry. That was a new mercy. 32 years 32 years worth of new mercies hitting ahead that moment. See, God, only God can write that story. Like, that cannot be explained of anything else other than it is God himself who, who does that. Folks, we are not here. Anthem Church is not here accidentally. We are here providentially. We are here on purpose and with a purpose. So then after... We get that news that night. We didn't have a chance to celebrate for too long because then it was time to go to work. We had to upfit this place. We had to remove 11,000 pounds of trash out of this building. Most of it was medical hazardous waste. We had to go through the whole, like, how do you remove that kind of biomedical hazardous Because the place used to be like this medical facility. Get paint on the walls, everything. What's this going to cost? We had never taken up an offering. It ended up, it was going to cost $45,000 just to get this at a bare minimum operational status. God gave every penny we needed. It just started coming in. Pews, chairs, tables, furniture, AV equipment, instruments, children's supplies, refrigerators, Everything, it was four months of constant new mercy showers. Everything provided. Everything. And then on December 8th, 2013, we launched our services on Sunday morning, fully gung-ho about our mission, which is to fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. And, for, and we're getting after it. We're doing it. We're working ourselves down to the bone, this little group of people. And two and a half years in, God throws us this crazy curveball into July. It was July of 2016. Uh, the landlord calls me and says, I have to sell the building. We were somewhere between 80 to 90 people, including infants. We were not in any position to be able to buy this place. I mean, not even close. So I do what any reasonable person would do. I, I started looking around town. Well, if we can't buy and we're going to have to sell it, then we've got to find a new place. So I started looking around town. Folks, I could not find anything remotely viable for us to be in. We were already too big for anything in town because town doesn't have that much. We would have had to have gone from 20,000 square feet to 3,000 square feet from at least $1,000 a month to $3,000 a month. Depending on the venue, we would have only had access on Sunday mornings. There was no good option. And one day, God very clearly said, Rick, this is the play. This is it. This is the only choice you have. Buy the building. 
This is it. How? How do you do this? I had no clue how this was going to happen. I just, but I felt this certainty. This is what God wants. This is what he's going to do. And I told the church at that moment, just enjoy this because we're going to get a front row seat at seeing a miracle. So we spent nine months. We had nine months to raise the necessary down payment. So we asked our anthemers, hey, give as much as possible, give sacrificially. We all sent letters, like support letters to friends and family. Could you please help us out? Like, could you provide some money for this fund? And then one day, this person um, calls me up and says, hey, I'm aware of the situation that you're in. This person owns a banquet hall in Cary. Says, listen, you need to do a fundraiser meal come and use our facilities. I won't charge you anything to use the facilities and I will provide all the food for free for you to do your fundraiser. All right. We went to work. We put together that event. We walked away with $64,000. $31,000 in hand, 33000 pledged over three years. Awesome, wonderful, great. Nowhere near enough. So, we're, we're, we're trying to raise as much money as quickly as possible. Then came the moment of truth where I actually had to sit down with Mr. Barker and negotiate the price of this place. It had appraised for $500,000, so I'm doing all the math, like, oh, we're going to need this much. It depends on what he sells it for, all that stuff. On his own, we just sit down. This took 30 seconds. Well, Rick, I was thinking three, three ninety-five. What do you think? Yes, sir. <laughs> 79%. LTV, I'll take that all day. Heck yeah. So think about that, though. He's, he's already losing 20% off the deal. For, at that point, for three and a half years, he's been renting it to us for $1,000 a month. So he's technically losing money for however many years. It had been empty for five years. How much money is he losing, at least from an accounting standpoint, all these years? Folks, Mr. Bob Barker is one of the new mercies in the life of our church. His, how God has used him in his generosity, we would not be here if God not providing that man in our life. Long story short, in nine months, we raised $165,000. In barely three and a half years in the life of this church, in July of 2017, we bought this place. And every ounce of credit goes to the Lord. For I tell that story, and I always want to be careful because I never want to be misunderstood because we're not a building-centric church. We are not about brick and mortar. I tell that church to give all the praise to God because that is something that only God could have done. We didn't do it. He did it. I tell this story to, to, to just share with everyone that we're not here accidentally, but we are here providentially, which means that we're here on purpose and with a purpose. I tell this story to show how God has been showering us with new mercies for years. Now that the Anthem Church story is simply a story of God's mercies. It's, a, it's, it's part of the story of the greatest story of mercy ever told which is the story of God's love, we're part of that. We're, we're part of this gospel story. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, 
we're part of that story. And, and the way that story goes is this, that his son is Jesus, God the Son. He's God. And he came to earth from heaven. And he took on flesh. He became one of us. And he lived among us. He was tempted, never sinned. He spoke truth. He spoke grace. He healed people. He provided for people. And then, because we love darkness and hate the light, and he's light, we decided we were better off without him. So we decided we're going to nail him to a cross. And then Jesus took advantage of that horrifying, ugly moment in human history to turn it into the most beautiful moment in human history. So there he is on the cross, and in that moment, he took our sin and our guilt and our shame. He took it all upon himself. He says, I will lovingly sacrifice myself on your behalf. I will shed my blood. I'll have my bones you know, just aching. I'll have... Uh, uh, nails pierced through my, my skin and sinews and all of that. I will go through all of that just to take the guilt and the shame off of you. The scripture says that there's a, a consequence and a wage, a, a payment that's demanded because of our sin. So our immorality and our lies and our gossip and our lust and our pride and all of that, it comes at a great price, eternal separation from God. And Jesus says, I don't want that for you. I love you too much. I don't want that for you at all. I'm going to die to pay the price. I'm going to take your judgment upon myself that you may be spared, that you may receive mercy, that you may be, receive the mercy of Almighty God. So there he is. He's on the cross, and he dies our death, and, on the, and they, they lay his body on the in the tomb and on the third day, because the story doesn't end on the cross, on the third day, what happened? He was raised. And I just, I don't know what that moment was like in that tomb, but glory shone in that dark place. Glory shone in that cold place. His eyes opened. He stood up. He brushed death off, y'all. He rolled the stone away and he walked out. I like to think that he was doing some high stepping on the way out. That there was a strut to Christ. That death, darkness, sin, none of that has anything on him. He's our champion. He's our conqueror. He's our savior who gave us all that we may have eternal life. So now anyone who believes in him, anyone who gives their life to him, anyone who says, I'm done with sin ruling over my life. I'm, I'm tired of being a slave to sin and immorality and unrighteousness and uncleanness. I'm tired of that. I want something better. I want something eternal. Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm going to follow you. Please help me. I, I confess my sin. Anyone who does that, you receive the mercies of God. You're forgiven and you enter into a new life, a brand new life where you get to know the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and you get to then walk in the new daily mercies of God 24-7. So if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the God of mercy, I, I beg, implore, ask, request that you would just say yes to him. And if you're here and you're just like, you don't know what I've done, Rick. I've done all this stuff, this cruddy stuff in my life. I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I'm just not clean enough to, to say yes to Jesus. Just know you cannot out the grace of God. 
There is nothing that you have done that God cannot forgive, not until this moment. God forgives it all. He's just not waiting for you to get good enough or clean enough. He says, I'll take you as you are. So just say yes. And embark upon what is the greatest new mercy that you could ever experience. You know, I love telling this, this story of Anthem because it, it's, it's a story of God's faithfulness. I love telling this story because the story, the story of how we got into the building services is an analogy for what we're here to do. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're not here to repurpose a building. We're here to repurpose lives. We're not here to restore a facility. We're here to restore this community with the light of God. Anthemers, God has been merciful to us individually and us as a church that we may introduce other people to the God of mercies, that we may bring Christ to bear upon the lives of others. And I do believe that to this day, God continues to shower us with new mercies because of one reason— because we are committed to the mission that he has entrusted into our care, to fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. So this year, we're going to continue to support Sport Disciple, which is an amazing ministry in Haiti that we've been helping for a few years. And if at all possible, God opens a way, I want to take a team there this year, another one. We're going to continue to help out and support a church plant that's in the eastern part of the state. And this, this year, we're starting to support this church plant that's in the western part of our county. This month begins a brand new program here on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Harnett County Partnership for Children is going to start using our space to provide a structured pre-K for children, for families, who can't afford pre-K for their kids, which is something that is huge and vital and needed, especially if you know the demographics of our town. And that's going to give us an opportunity not, for, not just to help them, but to connect with families that we otherwise may not get to connect with. And we're going to continue to do all this other work that we've been doing, be a presence at Crate Myrtle Festival, which is the largest event in the town, to be part of the community Thanksgiving meal where we help to feed 300 people a hot Thanksgiving meal who otherwise may not get to enjoy that meal. We're going to organize that Living Nativity Hayride that we do every December or so, part of the Christmas on the Square celebration, which gives us the opportunity to share the true Christmas story and the message of the gospel with at least 800 people per night. We're going to continue to expand like this food pantry ministry, like connecting with the people and being there, being there for the people who patron that to support them and help them and pray for them. And on top of that, individual anthemers, guess what you're doing? You're just loving your neighbor, loving your family, your coworker, your friends, serving them praying for them, sharing Jesus with them. Like the reason that we are here, the reason that God has showered new mercies on us is that we would be a missions organization, which is what a church is supposed to be, to be to our community what Samaritan's Purse is to the world, to be God-sent missionaries here in our community. 
want to start a biblical counseling program out of here, which is desperately needed in our area. We want to start a housing program where we buy dilapidated houses, take them back to stud if we have to, rebuild them, get individuals and families there, get them on their feet, job training, whatever it is, pour into them, disciple them, then ship them off to wherever it is God is calling them. And we want to turn this block, not just this building, this block into a community center that we leverage for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, folks, is why God has showered us with new mercies. That. God has filled us this way. He has written this story, and it's an amazing story that I love to tell. God is good. God is faithful. Now let's go out of here encouraged to love God by telling other people of God's love. I would invite you, like, be part of this. Like, be part of this, this mercy that is Anthem Church. Be a part of it. Be, in, be involved. Tether yourself to it. And it really begins first by receiving Christ for yourself. And then all of us together marching on, like, locked arm to arm, united, let's introduce the world to Jesus. Let's introduce the world to the mercies of God. Folks, that's why we're here. We're here on purpose and with a purpose. And I ask you all to bow your heads. And I ask the praise team to come to lead us in a closing song. And just with your Eyes closed and your head bowed. Just takes a moment just to personally respond. Maybe you need to evaluate your life and just category like all this amazing stuff that God has been doing. Just thank him today that he is good and that he is faithful. Or just give him praise to be part of Anthem, or do I have heard this story? I'm like, God, you are amazing. I, I, I praise you right now for writing such an amazing story. Maybe you're here and, and you've never actually personally stepped into faith where you've received the grace of God. I would say it begins there. That's the decision that matters most. So would you humble yourself and just come clean and come before God and give your heart and your mind and your soul, your life to him. Say, Lord, I want you. I'm tired of what the world is peddling. I want you and the new life. Please forgive me. I give myself to you now. Is that you this morning? Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I haven't really been a part of a church or maybe this church. God, you're calling me to step forward and to be part of this unique work and to be a part of the continued story that is happening here. Lord, tell me, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Where do you want me to do it, Lord? Where do you want me to serve? I want to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the new mercy that today is. I thank you for 
my life being filled every day with new mercies. I thank you for this church and every day being filled with new mercies, Lord. I, for all of us, for all of our lives being filled with just blessings and provision, protection and leading and guiding, big and small, whether we knew it or whether we don't, Lord, we give you all the praise. You are sovereign, almighty God, and your will will not be thwarted, and we love you for that. Lord, and we we declare this morning that you are a God of faithfulness and of goodness. Lord, your kindness is what leads us to you, to repentance. Kindness, your kindness is what draws us into your arms. Thank you for your goodness and gentleness. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, our passions, that we would labor day and night in commitment to furthering the name of Jesus in this world, individually and together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.